The one thing that stays with me about the story of these men is how the in every war that our country has fought since the founding, since the Revolutionary War, black soldiers have always stepped up. Slaves stepped up to fight, hoping that a show of bravery, a show of patriotism serving their country would help make things more equal after the war, would give them, their families, their people equal rights. And in every situation, that didn't happen. An excerpt from today's guest speaking about a black unit that landed on Omaha Beach. We'll speak with author Linda Herview about her book, Forgotten, the untold story of D-Day's black heroes, right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spirit. February is Black History Month. In my new book, Immortal Valor, about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, is out now. The book chronicles these immortal heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle up until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book to discover more as we celebrate Black History Month. Just visit my website at robchild.net or visit any online retailer. Welcome back. Today's guest is a journalist and a photographer whose work has appeared in publications including the New York Times, International Herald Tribune, the New York Daily News, and Photos Paris. A native of Lowell, Massachusetts, she now lives in Paris. Her World War II book is called Forgotten, the Untold Story of D-Day's Black Heroes. And author Linda Herview joins us now. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's a real pleasure. Before we get into the book, how did you discover this story? You were in Paris, right? Yeah, I, I live in Paris, and uh, in 2009, for the 65th anniversary of D-Day, I was looking for an interesting story. Uh, I was looking for an American to, to feature, or several Americans to feature, and the French government did my work for me because they decided to honor an American veteran named um, William Dabney from Roanoke, Virginia, and he was the only... Uh, veteran on D-Day to to get that distinction um, that you know he was he was featured on stage in Normandy. It was just to set the scene for you a little bit. This was you know they it was 65th anniversary. It wasn't you know an even number, but they really didn't think that many of these men would still be with us for the 70th anniversary. So they pulled out all the stops for the 65th. And um, President Obama was there, the Queen leaders from all over Europe were there. And it was a really big deal. And it was a, a huge ceremony. And um, the day before the ceremony in Normandy, William Dabney, um, uh, who was there with his son, Vinny, went to Anvalide, the big temple of all things war in Paris, and he received his Legion of Honor medal. And so that was the distinction. So it was quite a ceremony. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg were there. He shook their hands. And it was uh, a huge, huge thrill 
for Bill. And I met Bill and I heard about the only combat unit of African-Americans at D-Day, the 320th Barrage Balloon Battalion. And I found their story fascinating and I wanted to know more. And that started it. Yeah, tell us a little bit about their role on D-Day, the 320th. So there were barrage balloon battalions in World War II in the American army. The, the barrage balloons were not, I mean, they, I don't believe they are very well known among Americans. The, the, the British know them because the barrage balloons were floating over London and there were lots and lots of pictures that you could see years and years after the war of the Blitz. Um, but a territory like London is really too big for a barrage balloon to protect. The idea is this craft that's filled with helium or hydrogen is raised from the ground by a team of men. The barrage balloons are various sizes from the size of a Volkswagen Beetle to the size of a couple of school buses. And the ones that went to war were the smaller ones. They were flown by a team of three. And the idea was they would float up in the clouds and they were essentially lifted from a steel, like a piano wire. And uh, a, a good, if a plane could snag the cable, it could stall. Uh, the balloons that went to war had a secret punch. They had little bombs uh, on them that would be detached with a cable strike. A good hit could take off a wing, perhaps the gas tank. Uh, enemy pilots were terrified of them. And the job of the 320th was to fly these. Uh, America trained 30 or so of these units and four of these battalions were, because the army was segregated in World War II, they were African-American. You interviewed a, a number of veterans for your book, and I wonder how they looked back on it, how they, they looked back on their experience in the war. Was there a common theme? Well, the, the common theme, and, and, and you know from your work too, uh, Rob, that when you interview veterans, so many veterans for so many years after the war did not want to talk about the war. Some veterans never want to talk about the war, but what I found as these men were, you know, inching into their into their, you know, their 90s, they were ready to talk about their experiences. And when I said to them, because many of their children didn't even know they were at D-Day. And when I said to them, well, why didn't you talk more about what you did at the time? And the answer was always the same. This wasn't extraordinary. We were just doing our job. Uh, one answer was, who cares about what Black men do? Nobody cared about this. Nobody cared about us when we came home. Everything was still segregated. There was still Jim Crow. And so that was really heartbreaking. Um, but it was wonderful to talk to Bill Dabney, the man from Roanoke who got the Legion of Honor medal, which, by the way, is France's highest decoration. I should have said that. Yeah. Bill is a, a wonderful wonder was because we lost Bill um, as we've lost all of the men that I met uh, for this book. And, you know, Bill was just a wonderful and Bill talked about all of these horrible experiences under segregation with not a smile on his face, but a, you know, this was life and we dealt with it. Others had different reactions to that. 
one notable man is um, was Wilson Monk from uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, originally from Atlantic City, New Jersey, who, when I called his house, said, I've been waiting 50 years to tell this story. Wow. And so he was, so he was ready. Um, but in full disclosure, Wilson Monk's son said, he would never tell me about this when I was young. I did ask him. And so, you know, veterans, you know, they don't want to consider themselves heroes. They don't want to talk about these traumatic experiences. And a lot of them did only after they got to know me a little bit because I wasn't going away. It took me five years <laughs> to do the book. And so every year I would come back to them with new information to try to jog their memories. Yeah, I did have the same experience interviewing World War II veterans. Uh, the common theme was we were just doing a, our job. There wasn't anything unusual about it, but the black Americans had the added you know, challenge of, of the pervasive racism in the military. Right. It made, it made everything a lot harder, and it also meant that their opportunities were severely restricted. A number of men stood out in this unit but there's one black medic who uh, performed an extraordinary feat on D-Day. Could you talk a little bit about him? Yeah, I'll talk to you about uh, Waverly Woodson, who was the one of uh, um, a, a unit of medics that landed on Omaha Beach. What is interesting to remember about D-Day, you know, we, we have a lot of images of D-Day. We have Saving Private Ryan. Um, we have these other movies that show the horror, horror of D-Day. The men from the 320th landed with the infantry on D-Day on Omaha and Utah beaches, the two American beaches, and where the Americans landed. And they were, for all intents and purposes, infantry soldiers until the small arms fire on the beach was clear and they could raise these balloons to, mm. to have a protective curtain over the beaches, protecting the men, the shipping, the material that was coming in. Um, and they would stay on the beach, you know, they would stay on the beach for a few months. So that was their job. But when they landed, these men were infantry soldiers doing everything that those soldiers that you picture, that you picture in your mind when the ramp falls on those landing crafts and they flood the beach. Um, that's what these men were doing. Waverly Woodson, as a medic, was charged with setting up a medical station on the beach. He was wounded twice on the approach to Omaha Beach by shrapnel um, shells that landed uh, on deck and, and next to his boat. And so when he arrived, it's around nine o'clock in the morning on June 6, 1944, and he's wounded and he lands and he sets up a medical station, essentially a, a tent roll that he set up uh, on the edge of, of Omaha Beach. And for the next 30 hours, he, while wounded himself, would save men, would patch wounds. He amputated a foot. He dispensed blood plasma. Um, what he did was extraordinary. And on the morning of June 7th, he saved, you know, helped save four men who were floundering as they came in. And he collapsed after that. And, um, you know, he was taken to a hospital ship where he recovered and he wanted to get back to the beach. And what he did, you know, there, there weren't a lot of medals of honor for uh, 
for for D-Day. Um, you know, other uh, historians, uh, hist- you know, of of of, of of the uh, Normandy campaign don't like it when I say the bar was higher for D-Day, but it clearly was because there weren't very many medals of honor. And Waverly Woodson, we found out, was nominated for the Distinguished Cross by uh, his commander. And that recommendation was upped in Britain by the American general there to the Medal of Honor. And there's a piece of paper in the Truman Library, handwritten between the War Department and the White House that shows that he was nominated. Um, But the rest of the records trail is not there. So we don't know more than that. But what we do know is that no African-Americans got the Medal of Honor in World War II until Bill Clinton awarded seven of them many years later after a study that showed that Black soldiers were deprived of these opportunities and these awards and these decorations, these medals that they deserved. And one of them was Waverly Woodson. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, Paul Woodage will be here to talk about his book, Angels of Mercy. And on February 16th, Number one New York Times bestselling author Mark Greeny will be here to talk about his latest military thriller, Sierra Six. For this book, I kind of had an idea of going back into my hero, Fort Gentry's past. He was a member of a, of a paramilitary force and his call sign was Sierra Six, which is where the title comes from. I think my idea initially for this book was I'd like to delve into Court's past, not exactly an origin story, but uh, to show you some of his background and keep it with something contemporary at the same time. That's next time. February is Black History Month, and my new book, Immortal Valor, about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, is out now. The book chronicles these immortal heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle up until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book to discover more as we celebrate Black History Month. Just visit my website at robchild.net or visit any online retailer. Now back to the conversation. Now, that letter, did you discover that letter on your own in your research? That letter was first discovered by the Army researchers that uh, presented the, the, the facts that eventually ended up in a study that eventually prompted the White House, Bill Clinton, to award those seven medals of honor. Waverly Woodson was among the men considered, but the bar was that that the records had to be there to show what happened, to show the trail of the decoration from when it was proposed to what happened at the end. Because in the end, Waverly Woodson and and other men in this battalion got the Bronze Star. Hmm. And so, you know, what... What happened was in that study, this note is a footnote in in the back of the study. And I saw that and I talked to the lead researcher and I said, there was no other information. He said, no. And I said, well, I'm going to go anyway and look. And so I went to Independence, Missouri, to the Truman Library after going to Abilene, Kansas, to the Eisenhower Library and many other archives looking for trails. And there are no other papers that show what happened with those awards. And that's why there's a campaign right now to award which in the Medal of Honor. But, you know, without those records, the Army is reluctant to support um, such a campaign.
Is it Dr. Jill Brand that you spoke with at Shaw University? He was at Shaw University, who wrote the study. I did not speak to him. I spoke to Elliot Converse. Oh, I see. Yeah, who was the one who went to the Truman Library and did that work. So there were, I, be, I believe, five authors. Um, yeah. Book right here. It's always at my left hand here. Um, yeah, there were a number of authors, and um, and it was Elliot Converse who I, you know, and he was wonderful. He said, you know, uh, you're not going to find anything. And I said, I'm going to try because what else can we do? You know, I mean, the, the thing you have to remember is when you go to the National Archives, uh, the World War II records are in, as you know, in College Park, Maryland, uh, the, the, the head archivists there tell you, you know, only 1% of World War II records remain today. And when you see all these zillions of files, you can't imagine that that's only 1%. Right. Uh, but a lot of records that I needed, you know, that would, would that would patch together the story of this battalion were simply not there. And tragically, there was a fire in St. Louis, Missouri, where the personnel records are kept in the 70s right. that wiped out some 80 percent of these men's records, including Waverly Woodson's. So that, that's really tragic because there might have been a trace in those. Uh, we don't know if there would have been. But, you know, without those records, uh, the, the, the petitioners, uh, Senator Van Hollen and Marilyn and a team, a bipartisan team, have essentially asked uh, the White House to go around the Army to award this. And that's not ever happened. So. I know there's an online petition for yes. Waverly Woodson. Family has a petition online. A uh, link to it is on my website, which is my name, lindaherview.com. Um, and, um, and you can see the family's petition. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, still, they're still pushing. I mean, they, there's, a, there's a lot of reason for optimism. There's a lot of reason for optimism. Generals have come out in support of this. What do you think the likelihood is of, uh, of this coming to pass? You know, I was when they when they unveiled the, the new bipartisan bill last year. I was very I, I was very cheered by that. Um, but because time has passed, you just you wonder what's happening in Washington. You know, right. it's impossible to know. I do know that you know uh, the uh, that Senator Van Hollen's office has communicated with the new Secretary of the Army to try to rally support. The Army has consistently come back to them and said, you need to hire a private researcher to work at the National Archives. But I did that. And I didn't do that just by myself. I had researchers working with me sure. on this, and we couldn't find anything. And I am confident that if there was anything there, we would have found it. I hope that uh, that gets awarded. In, in the coming year or years. I know there's another online petition for Dory Miller to be awarded uh, the Medal of Honor. You know, Dory Miller, the first hero, right, of World War II. I mean, he was a star when the, when the bombing of Pearl Harbor happened. I mean, he was a, a laundry man and he jumped behind a big gun he had never been trained to use and fired at Japanese planes after bringing the body of the mortally wounded commander of the ship uh, to a safe place. 
And, you know, he met a tragic end the following November. He died in the, in the Pacific um, at, in, yeah, yeah, his ship was, was, was hit. Um, But he was a, a, you know, he got the Navy Cross. And the thing is, you know, we only knew about that at the time, you know, the name of Dory Miller was only made public by the by the Navy because the black press demanded it. They demanded to know who was this star of the the first you know battle of the war. And you know it, it's just uh, it's just a shame that he didn't get his due. I mean, if anybody deserved a Medal of Honor for the Pearl Harbor attack, it was Dory Miller. I agree. And what I point out to people that's ironic is the captain that he helped carry off, who was mortally wounded, was awarded the Medal of Honor. Exactly. Right. I mean, it, that if you if you needed any proof, any proof about how high the bar was set. I mean, essentially, it was impossible for a black soldier to get a Medal of Honor. Impossible. And it wasn't until later in the war that you started seeing, uh, you know, bigger or bigger decorations being awarded to black soldiers when their bravery could not be disputed. You know, the Battle of the Bulge, after the Battle of the Bulge, a call was made. They needed the American army lost so many people. They needed riflemen. Black soldiers signed up, volunteered, took demotions from their from their posts in order to fight and fight shoulder to shoulder with white soldiers. And by all accounts, and I do mean all accounts from generals that commanded them, they were highly praised. They were. And yeah. They had over when that call went out in late 1944. Uh, they overwhelmed the military. The close to 5,000 signed up and they, they didn't right. have enough places to put them. And, and one thing that I didn't know when this story came my way uh, about uh, about Bill Dabney, I mean, I if I'd ever learned that the American army was segregated, I had not remembered that. None of us reporters remembered that. Uh, why is it that we just didn't know that? Why is it that we didn't know about this history of Jim Crow that was so egregious, so egregious that black men in uniform going down to their training camps in the South had to move to the Negro car, as it was called, hard by the coal engine so they would be dirty and filthy by the time they arrived where they were going, you know, a man in uniform fighting for this country, also at these bases in the South and you know, all over the bases were, were segregated everywhere in the country because the army was segregated, even right. in the North. But in the, in, in the South and the Midwest, you also had um, German and Italian prisoners of war who were brought over because it was deemed better to house them, to intern them in the US at these unused bases. They were treated better than the black soldiers at those bases. Yes, there were. I talk about that in the book. Yeah. Shocking, really. It's shocking. What would you like to leave folks with about the uh, the 320th and these men? The one thing that stays with me about the story of these men is how the in every war, 
that our country has fought since the founding, since the Revolutionary War. Black soldiers have always stepped up. Slaves stepped up to fight, hoping that a show of bravery, a show of patriotism serving their country would help make things more equal after the war, would give them, their families, their people equal rights. And in every situation, that didn't happen. World War II, as soon as these men debarked back into this country, you know, they disembarked from these ships, there were two lines, white and black. And that was shocking to them. And that image always stays with me, coming back in to places like Norfolk, Virginia and getting off that ship and seeing white and colored. And they knew nothing was gonna change. Yeah, they had so that, that, stays, that stays with me. Yeah, they had high hopes. Indeed. They did, they did. The book is called Forgotten, the untold story of D-Day's black heroes. And it's available via link in this episode's description. Linda, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. Next time, Paul Woodage will be here to talk about his book, Angels of Mercy. And on February 16th, number one New York Times bestselling author Mark Greeny will be here to talk about his latest military thriller, Sierra Six. For this book, I kind of had an idea of going back into my hero, Fort Gentry's past. He was a member of a, of a paramilitary force and his call sign was Sierra Six, which is where the title comes from. I think my idea initially for this book was I'd like to delve into Fort's past, not exactly an origin story, but uh, to show you some of his background right. and keep it with something contemporary at the same time. That's next time. And if you like what you hear, leave a review, a rating, or just click the follow button. You can find me on Twitter, at Rob Child, where you can share your comments about the show. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spirit. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.